I'm Mark Rubeau from Readings Bookshop, and today I'm going to be talking to one of my colleagues, Leanne Hall, who's been a bookseller for a number of years, and an author as well. And we're just going to talk about the secrets of our trade. Uh, it's something that we find interesting, and we hope that you will too. Hello, Leanne. Hey, Mark. How are you going? I'm very good. Now, how long have you been a bookseller? Um, I think on and off for about 10 years. So, so quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been at Readings for a really long time. I went away, as quite a lot of people do, and then I think it's hard to leave. You always come back yeah. to bookselling. Yeah. And um, you're also an author, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Your, uh, YA author. Tell us a little yeah, bit about that. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I write books for kids and for teenagers. So mm. my first two books, This is Shyness and Queen of the Night, were for teenagers. And my most recent book, Iris and the Tiger, um, is for kids. So I've had a parallel career of being an mm. author and a bookseller going for quite some time yeah. now. Yeah. And uh, Iris and the Tiger won the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards, it which is, we yeah. were very excited. I know. Because we, we bask yeah. a bit in your glory. Yeah, I it's actually really nice working at a workplace where somebody understands what the awards are. So, for example, mm. say I followed the first career that I chose, like I became a lawyer. If I, if I said that I'd won that award at a law firm, people wouldn't actually really know what that meant. But at readings, right. um, everyone has been really congratulatory mm. and nice about the award. So you did law, was your... I did, yeah. Uh, you finished and... I did finish. Did you practice? I a, didn't, no. no. No, so I did an arts law degree straight out of school. Yeah. And every intention of practising law, I was quite interested in international law, diplomacy, the work of right. sort of international mm-hmm. organisations. Um, but I had always had the book, books and writing bug and that just became clear through my studies that I wasn't going to be able to ignore right. that kind of impulse to either work in publishing or books or or work on my own writing. So I never, I never um, did my articles. I never became right. a solicitor. And so as a child you'd been a big reader and... Yeah, a huge yeah, reader. Right. Yeah, and yeah. So you'd read all. Yeah. Through your life. Yeah, I had. I actually learned to read in an unusual way. In that, right. yeah, my parents <laughs> took me out of prep. Me and my two older sisters, um, mm. we got taken out of school and taken on a round the world trip for about three or four months. And my older sisters could entertain themselves by reading and doing right. puzzles yeah. and games in the back of a. We drove around in a camper van. Um, and around, I had not, where, this is in Europe? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, around Europe. We stopped <laughs> off in Asia to visit family, friends, right. and then we went around Europe in a camper van. And I was so insanely bored right. in the back of that camper van that I taught myself to read with the help of my sisters, but also just myself. And so by the end of that trip, I could read and I came back to prep, being a full reader, being able to read novels. and yeah. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a <laughs> good thing really that happened. Yeah. 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 And um, so I'm interested. So you finished law and um, decide that the book is yeah. where you want is the place you want to be. That's yeah. And how did you then? What did you do? <laughs> well, I mean, I really I bounced around a lot after mm. after finishing studying at university. It's I'd trained for a very specific profession, and then the other side of my degree was the arts degree, which is a very broad degree, yes. and it's mm. often difficult for arts graduates to know what to do with it. Mm. Um, so I, I wanted to work in the arts. I wasn't really sure what area. So um, I worked for a film organisation for a while, really wanted to get in, break into publishing. So I started working for an educational publisher. Um, I did the graduate diploma in publishing and editing at RMIT as a method of kind of going further into the industry. 
And at the same time, I started, while I was doing that grad dip, I started working at readings. And mm. I never intended to become a career bookseller. Um, but as soon as I started doing it, I realised what a good match it was for my personality, mm. um, for my parallel career as a writer. Uh, it actually, I, I sometimes think that bookselling isn't really known as a career. It's not, not people don't really know a lot about it. And mm. if I'd known about it, I would have realised it was a great choice. Mm. But I really fell into it like so many people do by accident. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So the readings was your first book selling job? It was, yeah. I can't right, believe right. you gave me the job, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just came in with a lot of enthusiasm. Um, yeah. And the position was for a children's and YA specialist. Yeah. And I knew I had no direct experience in a bookshop, but I wrote a very impassioned application. Mm. And I had experience in publishing and I had the bonus of doing the graduate diploma yes. um, at RMIT. And so I think that the shop manager could see how impassioned I was and that I was trying to study in the area. Um, and I also had my writing that I was working on as well. So, yeah. And mm. I was just really enthusiastic in the interview, I think. <laughs> and um, when you came into it, um, what did you experience? Did you enjoy it straight away or? Uh... Yeah, I, th I think I did. It's, as everyone knows, as, as customers probably know, Readings Carlton is a really busy, bustling energetic environment. So I think it took quite a long time for me to feel that I had built up a real foundation of knowledge about books and authors mm. and, and the industry and also just the distribution network of books yeah. in Australia yes. and how it works in with international mm. distribution. Um, so it took a while to build up that bank of knowledge, but my enthusiasm for a really wide range of literature and writing was already there. Yeah. I just had to build up the more professional business yes. side yeah. of my knowledge before I felt comfortable. Mm. And and how did you do that? It was just sort of Learning on the floor, really. It's was really it? yeah. learning yeah. on the floor. I actually so we think... didn't give you a lot of help in that. Or... Oh, you did. Yeah, don't <laughs> worry. You did. You did actually. I did get trained, but there's no real substitute for just getting mm. thrown in the pit and mm. you know just surviving. So I think because Readings Carlton is such a busy store, and because we have such a broad customer base with quite a far ranging and deep and peculiar range of interests. <laughs> I think actually customers really help you build up your knowledge because they ask for the weirdest things mm. or they ask for the most specific things. Um, and they themselves are so passionate about particular yes. areas of that they want books related to those that you just, you, you learn really fast. Mm. But, yeah. I think, yeah, it's sort of interesting because I started off Similarly to you, I was yeah. doing an arts degree at Melbourne University. Oh, okay, we. <laughs> what did uh, you major in? Uh, oh, politics and economics. <laughs> okay, interesting. But I um, didn't know what, well, I suppose what to I didn't, do. What to do, really. Yeah. And um, I was working in the book room and they had a record bar. Ah, and I yeah. Advice, and, right. and I, I enjoyed that. And, yeah. And so it was going really well and I opened up a record shop in, in Ligon Street and then we acquired um, Reading's Bookshop. He was a... Ross yeah. Reed started by Ross Reading and his wife Dorothy, and and so it was really amazing going from. I found the people buying music yeah. were sort of know-it-alls. They they wanted to oh, be okay. the ones that knew. They were buffs. They were buffs, and they weren't very generous or. And going into the book world, like you say, people have their passions. They wanted to share them with you. Yeah, like make and recommendations. Make recommendations, and, saying yeah. you heard of this, you know, you'd really, this is big. Yeah. And so it was quite a different, yeah. a very enjoyable experience to feel suddenly you're in this sort of collegiate world where 
everyone wants to help each other. Yeah. I don't know if, if that's, that's something you've I had a similar experience mm. coming from a film organisation. So mm. part of my first job out of university was working in a film library. Right. And it's funny, I don't I don't want to diss film people <laughs> too much, but it, there was that feeling that, that film buffs also had, had this knowledge that they like to demonstrate but not necessarily <laughs> share. share, you know, yeah. they were real enthusiasts. Mm. Um, and so I might have had a similar experience to what you had with people mm. that were really into music in that, yeah, there, there definitely is that feeling of wanting to share ideas and recommendations mm. a little bit more perhaps with books. Mm. I don't know if that, that holds up. But I wondered, like, are you still interested in music or did that really fall by the uh, look, wayside? I must admit it did fall by the wayside. I don't know. Yeah. Um, exactly why. I, I still enjoy listening to music and going to concerts and things yeah. like that. But Books took over. Books took over. And um, I guess the beauty of books, maybe, you've, is there's a book about everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you get this window on a on the world, really, yeah. through books. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's been, for me, mm. been an extremely good education mm. in, in a wide range. I know when I first started, you know, the thing that I really struggled with was philosophy and psychology. Mm. And we have a lot of customers that are really learned in that area mm. and seek out widely from, from those two subject areas. And for me, that was actually really hard to get up to speed on yeah. with all the different sort of key psychologists and philosophers and, and, you know, for whatever reason, they always have really complicated names with mm. odd spellings. Um, so that was good for me, getting kind of an education in that area. Yeah. Although one of the things I do, a fellow bookseller said to me recently about um, talking about being a bookseller is, you know a little bit about many, many, many things yeah. you don't know a lot about. No, that's true. <laughs> One single thing. Although in your cha- you've chosen ch- children's yeah. books to be a specialty, haven't you? Is yeah, that, definitely. Is that by choice or because you write children's books? Yeah, and, and no, it's, it's definitely by choice. So mm-hmm. I think through working for the educational publisher, I got to work on both high school and primary school mm-hmm. titles. Um, my role there was a, as a permissions editor which I'm not sure many people outside no. of publishing know about. No, I'm not sure what so, you do. Um, it's <laughs> oh, fo- selling excerpts or... Yeah, so it's a fo- I was a photo and permissions editor and so my job was both to source photographs that we could use to illustrate textbooks and also seek permissions to use extracts from plays, movies, any kind of written material to use as examples in school textbooks. Um, so it's kind of a paralegal type position. Um coupled with sort of being a photo researcher and, and where there lacked a photo for a very specific thing for a textbook, I would have to go out and take it or find somebody to take it. Um, so that was my in. And I became aware and I got a really nice discount at this publisher oh. to to, um, to get other books from other areas of the business. So I just started reading a lot of children's and YA right. books mm. again. I studied a children's literature subject at university and it I just – became quite interested. So I think straight out of high school, I wanted to demonstrate how much of a mature adult I was. So right. I read a lot of very high, <laughs> highbrow, big L literature, yeah. but really my natural interest is is quite youthful and, and <laughs> childlike. Um, my imagination is quite childlike. So I, I, after sort of trying to prove myself by reading all the, the heavyweights um, of literature, I then swung back strongly to children's and teen books and it's totally by choice. It's um, mm. what fuels my imagination mm. most. It's what I'm most yeah. enthusiastic about. And now you work in yeah. our children's bookshop yeah. and you do our online content about 
children's yeah, books correct. and something else we'll talk about later. Um, so what, what do you do as a bookseller? I mean, what does a bookseller do? What do you think? Yeah, you okay. Do? So yeah. a bookseller, I think of it as being kind of this part mechanical labour type position, right. which actually suits me. You're on your feet all day. You're at the registers. You're um, doing a lot of very specific processes. You're shelving. You're unpacking books. You're keeping control of stock. That's this whole other side of it, one side of it. And um, the other side of it is you basically get paid to talk about books and to think about books and to mm. research books. So, you know, the other part of my job is interacting with customers which can be parents, grandparents, children, aunts, uncles, teachers, librarians, mm. um, and you're trying to find the best book for the children in those people's mm. lives, which mm. is fantastic. Um, so you're always making recommendations of things that you've read or you're getting a specific request like, my child is six years old, they're really into horses and geology, what can I give them? And then you have to put together all these disparate factors and think what is the perfect thing for that child at that reading level and at that age. So to me, it's really, really wonderful. I get such a kick. Sounds hard to me. (laughs) It's hard, but it's it's like a, it's problem solving. It's like a good puzzle. Um, It is difficult, but when you get it right, you know it because you can see it in the kid's face or you can see it in the parents or grandparents' face that you've really found just the perfect mm. thing for that young person to, to read and engage with. Um, so it's extraordinarily satisfying. So mm. yesterday I had a customer come in who was about seven. She was really into <laughs> ancient Egypt. Right. Her mum told me that she's quite a good reader and quite smart and has already read a lot. So we had to find something that was a little bit above that age group for her. Right. So... We discussed that she preferred real-life photographs of Egyptian artefacts, not cartoons of Egyptian life at the time. So I had to find a book with photographs <laughs> that she could look at. Um, so we found a few things. And then from that, because I you know, know a lot about kids' book and have worked in the area for another time, I knew of a really great fiction series that was all based around ancient Egypt. It featured a little girl her age who was really into... Egyptology. Um, And so I was then able to make a further recommendation of a story, a series of stories that would really um, pique her interest. Um, And she was really excited and we wrote down the title. And so it's that that kind of thing where you're able to do extra for people that come to you for recommendations. And it's not, it's actually not work. And because I'm already interested in the area Mm. um, and I only know that stuff because I read a lot and I'm interested so it's like it's fun and work at the same time. It's mm. not really an effort, actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there must be times when it's tough, though, isn't there? Or yeah, yeah. I guess when you fi- have it, you can't match. Do that match. Sometimes you? you can't. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you really can't. So um, a lot of parents come in that have kids that have very specific needs, or they have certain cognitive differences. Um, For example, say their child is on the autism spectrum. A lot of kids' books can be quite fantastical and metaphorical and symbolic. Um, And I've had quite a few parents tell me that that they just really need something very literal for their child. And sometimes it can be hard finding a book that's really literal at the right reading level and about a subject that that interests the the child. So, 
yeah, there's a lot of special stuff. I think it's always difficult. Parents often come in whispering that they want a book about puberty for the child <laughs> who's just over there and is really embarrassed. Um, we get that a lot. And so finding books about, you know, about big life events can be challenging and sensitive if there's been um, a loss in the family, if there's been a family breakdown, um, if there's been any kind of ser- serious health um, or life issue with a child, it can actually require quite a lot of sensitivity about how you talk um, talk to the customer about that and help them in a way that they, you know, it's kind of actually a big deal and confronting to come into a bookshop and ask for a book about a sensitive topic mm. that's very personal to them. So I think you have to be really, really, um, really, really thoughtful and sensitive mm. when you're finding those books for the customers. Mm. And they're coming in to ask for those things on serious or sensitive topics mm. because they need help. Yes. And you have to kind of really be aware that they're asking you for help and it's mm. not the easiest thing. Yes. Yeah. Look, have you found that? I have that. I've had yeah. a few occasions in my career where You've yeah. been quite thrown, you know, someone would come in and asking for something which obviously to help deal with a very yeah. personal and yeah. for them confronting, for also for you to be have them share it with you. Yes, you? exactly. I'm of always kind of proud so, of people when they do that. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, good I, on I, you. I don't know if I could, <laughs> could do yeah, it to no, a stranger. Yeah, no, I would be shy about that, I think. Mm, yeah. yeah. So it's it's very interesting. Yeah. I, I think mm. it's good that people feel that they can come in and ask for those really difficult, mm. challenging books about things that are going on in their life mm. at the moment. Um, and they feel safe doing that and asking yeah. us and also that those books exist and that mm. we can get them in and that can sometimes um, get people through a really hard time. So mm. if books get people through hard times. Well, yeah. I think in many ways. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I go in sort of cycles of reading and yeah. I read intensely for a couple of weeks. and yeah then might stop for a week or so. Okay. And, um, you don't feel guilty about stopping? I think a lot of oh, people... No, I feel, feel, ter- <laughs> I feel terribly guilty about it yeah. professionally. <laughs> yeah. But then I sort of just suddenly find... You get a burst of... I get a burst and it's just so much pleasure to yeah. to read. And yeah. I mean, the, I've always loved books that they teach you about experiences that you yeah. may not have had. Yeah. Uh, they take you... You have to imagine the worlds that are... Um, that the the author is describing and yeah. creating. So you're sort of on a journey with the author. So I've yeah. always loved that um, okay. process. And I just, um, I was talking to, um, I don't know if you ever go to the bottle shop that's just down the road from readings called I, Botega, I do know it. <laughs> Bottega Tasca, very good bottle shop. And and Paul, one of the proprietors, um, told me last last night or the night before, he said, I just, I, I've been reading a book. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying it. I want to go home and read it. <laughs> he said, you know, it's Donna Tart. Oh, uh, I love Donna Tart. Yeah. And I said, oh, that's great, Paul. You know, it's, it's fantastic. You know, once you find that pleasure. Yeah, you know so, you're hooked when you turn yeah, down, like, invitations to it's so, go to it's movies. It's so rewarding or, yeah. reading. And I said, yeah. you know, you should do it more. He said, oh, I don't have time. I said, no, no, Paul, you must. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really nice to have that sort of experience and, People who, I'm sure, I think it was the first book Paul had read probably oh, really? for years. Was it The Secret History or one of no, the... No, it was the other one, which I can't remember what it was called. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we should know, shouldn't we? We should. Um, so... Um, I think it's good to remember that. Is, is obviously books are central to our lives and everyone that mm. works at readings and a lot of our regular mm. customers, but 
there's also many, many people out there that rarely pick up a book or it's been a long time since mm. a book has grabbed them in the way um, that you're talking about. And so it is really nice when you can kind of introduce people back to the joys of mm. reading or find something that really particularly grabs them at it yes, at yes. that point in time. No, I think it's a real challenge for us as booksellers too in how, how to engage with people and... Yeah. Um, because I mean, if you're not a big reader or you haven't read for a long time, it must be quite daunting to to come into a bookshop and uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, <clears throat> given all these choices, you don't know where to start. Yeah, mm. I think I always keep that in mind in the you know the way that I greet people and say hello and act around people in the shop is like aware that I mean before I worked at readings I was actually quite intimidated to come into oh, readings right. like as a as a young green nervous socially awkward um, <laughs> university student you know readings had a certain amount of glamour about it right. and it can actually be hard to walk into those mm. places and, and not feel a little bit intimidated by the amount of knowledge contained in them mm. um, so I'm always aware especially in the kids shop of really making all of the kids and parents feel welcome that they can spend mm as long as they want in the shop, read as many books as they want um, and and feel like they're at home and, and welcome in the shop. So I think it's important because they can be intimidating places, yeah, I think. Yeah. I do hear from parents a lot, you know, that parents and, and other adults are always very concerned that their children have so many other choices for leisure mm. and entertainment and that they're worried that that they're neglecting their reading, that they spend mm. too much time playing computer games or watching things. But... I see kids making a really free-flowing kind of movement between all those different leisure and entertainment mm. options, and they don't necessarily distinguish books as being this hallowed, special, separate, important category. It just it really flows into their love for character and story across all different right. types of forms. So I don't really see those screen so forms you, as a threat. So you don't see the book as this sort of sacred artefact? I... I, I do a little bit just because of my, my age and what generation I, I come from, but I also see how enthused kids are about stories and characters in all different forms. And they'll come in and they'll ask for, you know, Nexo Nights books they've been watching, you know, Nexo Nights, or they'll, they'll seen a movie and they want a book about the movie. Yeah. Like I had a kid yesterday looking at a Disney, a, a young boy looking at a Disney encyclopedia and he looked up and he was disgusted. He goes, they haven't even put Moana in here. <laughs> and uh, we had to explain that the book was probably published before the movie Moana came out. Um, I I don't see it as, as being a problem. The kids don't see it. And I see kids moving through graphic novels to reading sort of fact books to reading stories. Then they'll tell me about what computer game they're playing. It's, I don't. I do see that there's that perhaps at least they don't see the book as being this this sacred mm. object. But I, you know, I think as adults, you do know that the act of reading is a particular type of absorption and engaging with words and language is is doing something very particular in your brain. It's doing something very particular mm. with your attention. It's doing something very particular with your ability to empathise. So I, mm. I do still, I must admit, I do still think of a book as being a, a very special, special experience. Yeah. yeah. And um, so 10 years as a bookseller, have you yeah. seen, have you think you've seen changes in the types of books? Um, in the kids area, trends, yeah. Yeah, yeah mm. definitely. I, mm. I probably, my, most of my observations are in the, the kids and YA area. I do see that that flow between other art forms a lot more easily. So, you know, for adults, this is totally baffling, but there's been an influx of recent years 
of books that are written or co-authored by YouTubers um, or popular right. bloggers or popular like online personalities, um, you know, I guess internet celebrities. And this <laughs> baffles adults. So like, who is this person? I've yeah. never heard of them. Why are all these teenagers coming in and asking for this book? But I do see that's been one major change perhaps in the mm. last three to four years that's happening. Mm. I guess one other change I think in the industry especially in YA, but also in kids' book, is a lot more attention paid to. And I'm going a little tired of the word diversity, Mm. but there's been a lot more attention paid to making sure that all different sorts of people and children and young people are represented, um, especially in youth literature. And I think that's a very positive thing. I think there's a long way to go in that. I think, you know, it can refer to, you know, gender, ethnicity, you know, differences, um, disability, um, cognitive differences, um, sexual identity. It's, you know, it's across all sorts of areas. It can be socioeconomic differences. Um, I think there's a lot more awareness of that in the last sort of five years or so. And I think that's wonderful. And as an author, do you, when you write, are you conscious of do you think about those sorts of issues? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do think about those issues. I think a lot of people think about diversity and represent- representation as something morally good or ethically right, or perhaps even if you're not a fan, politically correct. Mm. Um, I don't see it that way. I see it as if I'm going to be the best writer I can be, then my writing should very accurately reflect reflect the reality around me, or it should be a a really effective version of reality Mm -hmm. that I see around me. So for me, reality is diverse. So therefore my writing should reflect that. If I'm not showing that, then I'm being a bad writer. That's pretty much all all I think. I don't, Mm. you know, want to go ahead sort of waving any flag in my fiction because I think the um, the creative act is a lot different from that of yes. having an agenda, having mm. messages, having issues you want to cover. I think mm. you if you pay too much attention to that stuff, you're going to fail on an imaginative and creative mm. front. Mm. But also, you know, my my background is Chinese Australian, so quite naturally, a lot of my personal experiences have related to that background, and then those experiences flow on through to the type of characters I create. Mm and the type of situations I cover in my fiction. Mm. So I think it's very natural that that would come out. Mm. And definitely, like, say, for example, um, with my most recent book, Iris and the Tiger, the main character, Iris Chen Taylor, is Chinese-Australian, so has a very similar background to mine. Mm. And that was really born out of both me trying to get as close as possible to the character and create a really realistic (laughs) 12-year-old girl, Mm. but also because I really lacked stories about people like me when I was 12. And I think I suffered because of it. I don't think it's too strong a word to say that I suffered because of it. And I could have really used um, some more role models in fiction. So it's nice to be an adult and to write some of those role models for myself and for other Um, other kids like myself into into books. Mm. And what, I mean, talk about this sort of cultural appropriation and writers shouldn't write about yeah. People or experiences that yeah. aren't Well, you're opening theirs. up a can of, a big can of words <laughs> there, Mark. I Which mean, I, I, I have a lot of problems with that. Do you? The, the critics of... Um, so you kind of arc up when you think about sort of accusations of... Sorry? You, you arc up a little bit when... I do a little bit because yeah. I think that's what a writer yeah. is, is creating a world that... Yeah. Um, 
So you feel that writers should be totally free to take on... I, th- I think so, yeah. Yeah, if, okay. If they, if they do it respectfully. and Yeah. Uh, because Fiona Wood, she wrote, she writes about um, people yeah. with different cultural backgrounds. Yeah, and, yeah, definitely. Fiona, <laughs> Fiona's um, most recent novel, Cloud Wish, um, she writes from the perspective. Well, she doesn't write from the perspective. She writes a third person, mm. very close third person mm. narrative about a young Australian Vietnamese girl. Um, I think it's a really complicated issue. I've mm. talked a lot about this topic with so many different <laughs> right. people. And in actual fact, I kind of respect everybody's different opinion mm. because it does seem that everyone has a slightly different mm. take on this. Um, again, for myself, I think it comes down to good writing. And, and what you said, res- respect. So I think that good writing is well-researched, it's respectful, and it really takes empathy to the next level. So if you're going to write a successful character, you really have to be in their shoes. I think sometimes there are some characters or stories that it's not possible for a person outside of that experience to put themselves in their shoes enough mm. to write it well. Um, I certainly think perhaps that... Indigenous stories fall into that category for me. Right. So I really think a great deal of respect needs to be taken when um, you are non-Indigenous to write mm. about anything that relates to the ex- personal experiences of Indigenous Australians. And and I don't think that I su- could successfully adopt that perspective. And I also think um, if a person has had their stories taken from them and their identity um, taken from them or history has tried to rob people of that identity, then I really think those are the areas where those stories belong to, mm. to people with that experience um, and that personal connection and identity. So yeah. I sort of think, I feel like it's a sliding scale. Um, I must say I am very wary of somebody trying to write from the perspective of an Asian Australian without having personal experience. Right. Mm. But I've read Fiona Wood's books and I know Fiona personally and it's a beautiful piece of fiction and it's born out of very, very long-term connection with the Vietnamese community in Australia. Right. Mm. Um, so, you know, but I know from myself is I've, I've had personal experiences that I don't think somebody from my background could possibly imagine. Mm. And I know this from within my own family, there are uh, Anglo-Australians and Chinese-Australians in my family. <laughs> and I know from a fact from discussions <laughs> I've had with my dad, yeah. who is Anglo-Australian, mm. is he couldn't possibly imagine some of the experiences that I've had as a young Asian-Australian woman. He would be shocked <laughs> if I told him some of the experiences I've had that I feel are connected with um, my background. So I kind of know for a fact that some people just don't know what you're talking about. So mm. I, yeah. you know, I think it's a really complicated issue that mm. relates to, you know, writer's freedom, but also mm. acknowledging systems um, systems of, of privilege and colonialism, mm. yes. you know, the after effects mm. of colonialism. So I think it's a very complex, yeah. we could do a whole podcast yes. on this topic. Well, I think it's really interesting. I, I don't know about you, but I, what I've noticed um, perhaps over the last four or five years is a lot more pushback from customers yeah. about the types of books that we stock. Interesting. Uh, and my view has always been that it's not our job to be censors. Yeah. That we're selling books to adults so people yeah. can make their own decisions and we shouldn't 
be a gatekeeper, yeah. and it's, it's a difficult. Is there a line though with that? Like, is there I look, some? My only, I had two lines. I think <laughs> there's a book called um, the Anarchist Cookbook, which yeah. teaches you how to um, make bombs. Yeah. Uh, it, it's. I think it's one of the few books that are banned in Australia or restricted. So I would never. We occasionally used to get people before the internet would order that book, okay. and we wouldn't. And the other one was the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. They were. Yeah. They were the two books. Okay, and is uh, that on what grounds do you use like that public safety or? Um, well, public safety for obviously the anarchist anarchist book yeah. and. Elders of Zion because it was racist and it was lies and. Yeah. That kind of thing. But as you know, there's no way as booksellers we can know intimately the content of what we sell. So we yeah. may be selling. Yeah. Um, and then another issue we had recently was um, a Melbourne academic wrote a book about transgender. She was a lesbian feminist, thought that um, transgender males weren't women uh, very, you know, said this is all a lot of rubbish. It's another form of patriarchy. <laughs> uh, and we stocked her book and we got emails from trans people saying that we shouldn't stock yeah. it. I mean, um, I think that's a difficult area, isn't it? When mm. stocking a book actually causes real offence and pain mm, and yeah. hurt to somebody that walks into the mm. shop, it's, you know, I mean, I, I really feel, I feel for those people who, mm. who actually you know, for anyone that feels pain at seeing something that they feel is, is personally attacking them, that the presence of a book in a shop is mm. actually a personal attack on them. Mm. I, I think that that would be a really, really awful feeling. I guess what you're talking about is perhaps balancing that against um, the benefit of having ideas proliferate and different yes, yeah. sides of ideas being discussed and, and debated. And it's a really complicated issue, I it think. It is. It's, um, so, yeah, I've been thinking about it quite a lot. And um, and then another instance, um, Andrew Bolt, um, a book of his columns were published and we, we stocked it. Um, we didn't display it prominently, but there was some very nasty Facebook Posts about that, how readings were censoring Andrew Bolt and weren't um, yeah. <laughs> putting him out prominently. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you would have to say, like, people always think of business businesses as being apolitical or outside mm, the mm. political arena, but certainly decisions you make about mm. buying numbers of titles, sport, um, display, promotion there there is a certain amount of kind of internal perhaps politics or decisions that comes out in that like we couldn't pretend that we're not completely without opinions no in yeah. the way that we present our our books mm. and which titles mm. we choose to promote and feature mm. and, and champion would yeah. you say well, I mean would you describe us as I mean just to I, I, I would I mean obviously our clientele is I would think progressive people who are interested in in how they don't want to read about the status quo. They want to see how can we make a better society and those books are the books that sell best. So there's a commercial impetus there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I guess, for most of our staff, there's a sympathy, they have sympathy for yeah. those kinds of views too. And I suppose we do... Um, well, basically, we are in business, so we stock the books that we think are sell. And yeah. That will sell. Unfortunately, they align often with, with our values. Um, yeah. Sometimes they don't. I guess, um, but 
Yeah, I've just found it. It's something I've been thinking about. It's come up a few times recently. And and sort of, you know, these issues, you know, with when the issues about 13C, uh, the racial slander, um, you know, people would say like George Brandis and Andrew Bolt again, you know, free speech, you know, you should be allowed to say whatever you like. And uh, it's it's, it's an interesting question. And um, I think for a bookseller it is, you know, something I'm... I, I still feel reluctant to say I won't stock a book because I don't, yeah. I don't agree with it. Yeah, um, but you are yeah. aware for you there is actually a line <laughs> that I guess it's a case-by-case case yeah. basis. And finally, Leanne, is the bookshop going to survive? We've all been reading press about Amazon coming here next year and what are we going to do? How are we going to yeah. survive? What do you think? I think we will survive. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know... Every couple of years there's a threat isn't there to our yes. existence and people mm. ask us about it and say, how are you going to cope with this new change in the environment? And we've always weathered the storm and I think that um, we just, by being adaptable and listening to what people want, we can we can continue to survive. I'm not threatened remotely by Amazon, I must say, <laughs> and especially through working in the Readings Kids Shop since it's opened, I just know that the type of service and face-to-face contact that we provide um, adults and children and teenagers with cannot be matched by anything else. It can't be matched by an algorithm that recommends books to you online. Um, That kind of community that we create around the bookshop um, in combination with the events that we do with the Readings Foundation, um, with all of the real life stuff that we do to create a really vigorous community that can't be replaced by anything else. So I feel very confident about that. I do think there's a certain amount of education that needs to be perhaps passed mm. on or given to our customers or community to say, like, you know, if you see a book, a selection of books in store and you talk to a staff member and you get personal recommendations to then turn around and go and order those books online at maybe a lower price Mm. um, and convenience to you. I would really think about that (laughs) action and think about whether you are really, you've received something from us, Mm. you know, knowledge and passion and experience in the industry. And to kind of just think about whether you want to support us and buy books in store with us, having had that experience. So that's the only thing. I think it's just making people aware of, I don't want to say to people, don't go for the lowest price because I know some Mm. people can't afford it. They can't afford to not go for the lowest Mm. price. But I think just to educate people about the bigger picture about their purchasing decisions and where they, they buy books from, I think is important so that they can make an informed decision. If they want a beautiful community place like Readings to keep on existing, then sometimes they need to vote with their feet. Maybe not all the time, um, but just so people are informed so that they can make the best decision and acknowledge that they want independent bookstores in Australia. It's not just about us. It's about there's many, many wonderful Mm. niche and community-based independent bookstores all around Australia. I think it's important that people know why they should really consider supporting us. Yeah. Well, thank you, Leanne. So I got pl- very evangelical you there, did. didn't I? <laughs> it's been a pl- great pleasure talking to you about our profession. Uh, you've inspired me, I think. So. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> so, thank you, Leanne. That was Leanne Hall, a children's book specialist at Readings. Thanks, Mark. 